0: Music and
1: Murder contains violence, profanity, and graphic material that may not be suitable for children or people with weak stomachs. Parental advisory is definitely recommended.
2: Welcome to Music and Murder, the only true crime show that isn't a complete waste of your time. Just kidding. There's three others that are good, but I'm actually not going to mention them because I want you to focus on me and my show, because I'm a jealous, insecure prick. So we're at episode 20, and I'm just as surprised to be here as all of you. Everyone wants a podcast, everyone wants to be a rock star, and everyone wants college degrees, until they realize how hard that shit is. And by the way, I'm not a rock star, just a wannabe, but you know, because of my music I never had to get a job, so that's pretty cool. I'm also getting ready to graduate in six weeks. And after I do that, ah, we're going to actually be able to focus on this show more. It's going to be fucking amazing. I'm also not going to be able to put out another episode until I graduate because I'm finishing a new record in Nashville, where I'm going to be at all next week. I get to fly out of LAX tomorrow. Yay! It's going to be fucking great. Love that place. Now, when I finish my stats class, let me tell you, it ain't no joke at all. My final research paper is like an APA thesis, but I will get it done. So this is episode this episode,, other, is a sequel to 19. So if you haven't listened to 19 yet, you don't want to listen to this one. There's nothing for you. You gotta go back and listen to that. But just kidding, I do want you here no matter what. So let's jump right into this motherfucker, right, Arnold?
3: It's not a
2: tumor. I sure hope not. And with that, with that, away we go. Thank you for being here. I really, really appreciate you. Yes, they come to snuff the rooster and I'm still in California and it is still raining so we're just gonna keep the rain okay so when we last left off it was December 23rd of 1990 as far as putting this into musical terms Sinead O'Connor just released nothing compares to you which was actually written by Prince, just in case you didn't know. Prince also released the song, but it didn't do nearly as well as Sinead's version, of course. Nirvana's Nevermind album was just having its final mix finally finished in the studio. Kurt Cobain got to quit living out of his car. And MTV aired its first unplugged show with a reality shitty band called Squeeze. And if you're as old as me... You know that that band fucking sucked. And of course, in the real world, far, far away from the glitz and the glamour of the music and the celebrities, young 15-year-old Tammy Homoka was choking to death on her own vomit while being raped by her older sister, Carla, and Carla's boyfriend, Paul Bernardo, who I am now just going to refer to as Paul. The two had drug Tammy with animal tranquilizer, a benzodiazepine benzo excuse me, benzodiazepine called halcyon. Now the animal tranquilizer is it's kind of like a weird thing because in some stories it says that they use the animal tranquilizer and they use halcyon, and in some stories they just say that they use the halcyon. So Just kinda take that with a little grain of salt. I'm just throwing it out there. Now, they also held a chloroform soaked rag over young Tammy's face while she was being penetrated because don't forget, not only did they rape Tammy, but they also took Tammy's virginity while they accidentally murdered her. They also filmed this entire thing so they could watch it over and over and over. Both Paul and Carla stated in interviews that Tammy's death was an accident. And honestly, I believe them for one reason and one reason only. You see, if Tammy stayed alive, these two fucking ghouls could have and would have raped her over and over again. Of course, until she got too old for Paul's little girl taste. Then they would have likely moved on to Carla's cousins or other family members that were barely reaching puberty. Because remember, Paul liked young little girls, and Carla, well, Carla liked to keep it in the family. Like I said, fucking ghouls. Now, before this deadly, incestuous rape even took place, Carla would drug her little sister Tammy with benzos, which again in this case was Halcyon. Although, it's in the same pharmaceutical family as Xanax and Volume. And with using this drug, Carla would let Paul go into Tammy's room while she was sleeping. So he could actually masturbate over her sleeping body. And sometimes the two would actually have sex with each other while they molested young Tammy when she was asleep and drugged and this happened quite a few times from what interviews state it happened like all the time I've never used the word ghoul on this show but I'm pretty sure that this is the proper use for the first time to have its appearance so welcome to the word ghoul and the two people that deserve to be used that you know as far as that term goes now if these two had kids There's no way in hell that they wouldn't have done the same exact thing to their own kids. Fucking ghouls that prey on young, weak, and vulnerable kids. And of course, the ones that they supposedly loved, right? People that they actually stated that they loved. Now, after Carla and Paul tried to revitalize Tammy, remember, she was literally choking on her own puke and dying, they realized that they had... Not only killed her, but now she also had these chemical burns on her face, all around her mouth. So, what did they do? Hmm. Let's think about that. What did they do? Well, they redressed her, of course, as fast as they could, and then they woke up Tammy and Carla's parents and they called 911. And yes, even in Canada, it is still 911. Canada, oh Canada. So good in some areas and so clueless in others. The, the Canadian Mounties wrote Tammy's death off as an accidental death. This young girl was raped. She was a virgin, so I'm sure there was blood. She was drugged, and she even had chemical burns on her face. But, you know, Canada, somehow these fucking idiot mounties listed her death as accidental, and that was that. Case closed. Kind of like the neurological pathways and blood flow to the cerebral cortex and lobes of their brains. Now, later on, and you're not going to believe this, but it was on camera, so there's absolutely no denying that it happened. And please brace yourself for this. I wish I had some dumb girl on here say,
0: Ooh, what happened?
2: Like in all the other bullshit true crime podcasts. Ah, what the hell. I'll go ahead and just do it myself. Brace yourself for this. You're not going to believe what happened.
0: Ooh, what happened?
2: Carla and Paul actually reenacted Tammy's rape and murder. You see, Carla would dress up in Tammy's actual clothes and pretend to be 15-year-old virgin Tammy, you know, Carla's baby sister that they killed, while Paul would call her Tammy and rape her. You cannot make this shit up. At least, I sure wouldn't. Not only did they have absolutely no remorse or empathy for what they did to Tammy by raping and killing her, But they actually re-victimized her over and over and over again and literally got off on the fact that they killed and raped Carla's own flesh and blood. Think about that for a second. If you have a sibling and they had a boyfriend or a girlfriend and they literally drugged and raped and killed you and then actually watched the recording of it and jerked off to that shit wouldn't that just kind of piss you off a little bit i mean that is just one of the most disgusting fucking things i've ever heard of in my entire life even if you don't believe in hell you should hope that these two motherfuckers go there when they die because both of these ghouls are still alive unfortunately and we will be right back this is a song that was sent to me i really hope you dig it I That was another great song that was sent to me that I absolutely love. That was Ellen Krause with Hungover, Head in a Can. Great song, great voice. Love it. Thank you so much, Ellen. So before we move on, I just want to play you a little clip of this fucking country's Carla. She's talking to police for, you know, a few minutes, and I want you to see what she is. She decided to wear a schoolgirl dress and put her hair in pigtails during this interview, only in Canada. Now, in this particular clip, she is talking about right before they killed one of their victims, and uh, she's mad about that—the fact that Paul decided to use a couple of their expensive champagne glasses to drink. With this girl before they killed her.
0: Oh, and I was really mad too because um, when I took Buddy out, there were two champagne glasses on the dining room table, and we had these really expensive champagne glasses from France, which we never used. He had those out. The two of them had been drinking champagne from those glasses. And I was really mad.
4: This is stupid. Little thing. Hamoka seemed matter of fact as she recounted her version of how Leslie Mahaffey met her death.
0: And uh, then she took a breath. And that freaked me out even more. I w- he should have slapped me in the face because I was really hysterical then. So he went over to her and he did the same thing He strangled her more. And I think I watched that time. I was like, what the hell, she's dead anyway. Like,
2: so yeah, let's focus on the fact that they are drinking out of expensive champagne glasses before they kill this girl. And if you didn't catch that... She said that she watched Paul strangle her to death, and then she was like, well, what the hell? She was dead anyway. Carla Homoka is a fucking cunt that should be literally, like, have her skin fucking peeled off and burnt. It is just a tragic, tragic fucking thing. That well, we will get into it. I don't. I don't want to spoil anything. So, now just a little over a month after Tammy Carla's younger younger sister's rape and murder on February 1st, 1991, Paul and Carla moved into a cute little bungalow in Ontario. And just a few months after that, on June 29th, that same year of 1991, they had a beautiful wedding a beautiful wedding on Niagara Lake on June 29th. This extravagant wedding was paid in full by Carla's dad, which cost him at the time over $50,000. And in today's money, that would be equivalent to around 100000 maybe even more with all the fucking inflation. So yes, you are thinking correctly. Carla's father paid an enormous amount of money For the wedding of the two people that raped and killed his 15-year-old baby girl. How's that for some disgusting irony? On the same day of their lavished bougie wedding, excuse me, bougie wedding. I'm still learning that word because I don't give a fuck about bougie shit. While all their guests were toasting to the happy couple, not too far away at Lake Gibson a fisherman found concrete blocks that literally had hands, feet, and legs, and a human head protruding from the concrete. And the next day, on the same lake, Lake Gibson, another man discovered a human torso floating in the water. Now just take a second to let that sink in. Seeing this while you're out for a nice day on the lake One thing about this life is you don't ever, never, ever get to unsee anything. And as much as you think that that wouldn't make you, like, trip out, trust me, it would give you fucking nightmares. The remains belonged, obviously, to one of their victims. But this victim wasn't Tammy, not Carla's sister. Because Tammy was buried and got to have a funeral. I bet that really, like, like literally turned those two motherfucking ghouls on, right? Being at the funeral, knowing that they killed her. No, this chopped up and concreted body was a body that belonged to 14-year-old Leslie Mahaffey. And we will get into more details on uh, Leslie soon, but that was the little girl that Carla was talking about. The 14-year-old girl that... was drinking out of the expensive wine glasses with that she got so mad at because he was drinking out of the glasses before he decided to strangle, rape, kill, and do all the things that he does, sodomize and everything, this 14 year old girl. So that's who Carla Homoka is. Just in case you didn't know. But first, one more thing about the wedding. As a wedding gift, Rather than a bachelor party with blow and strippers, like most people do, Carla allowed Paul to go out and beat and rape a young, innocent girl. I can't find anything other on this information that was disclosed during the interviews, but it was most definitely something that happened. I just don't know the name of the victim, because they didn't kill the victim, or he didn't kill the victim, he just went out and raped a girl, because Carla told him, hey, we're going to get married tomorrow. Go out and rape and kill a little girl. So, my apologies that I don't know who the, the, the uh, name of the person was because it was never reported. Now, Paul was always in the serial killers, kind of like me, but he wasn't learning about them to catch them. No, Paul basically worshipped them. It was said that he knew the lines to every serial killer movie ever made and was completely in with with two in particular. These two movies were criminal law with Kevin Bacon, which was released in 19, uh, 1988 sorry and American Psycho with Christian Bale, which was released in 2000. right before Bale starred uh, started the Batman trilogy, which I really loved. loved those movies. If you haven't seen them you you should watch those three movies. They're really really good. Both pretty good movies, in my opinion. I like the other one, too. I bet Paul would have really loved Music and Murder, but that literally just made me throw up in my mouth. If you're anything like Paul, please cease and desist from listening to my show. We all like listeners, but fuck him and everyone like him. So, yeah, if you're like Paul Bernardo, I don't want you listening to the show. And on the serial killer note, here's something that really interests me that I've never heard of before. Paul and Carla actually changed their name after they got married to Teal, which they got from the Kevin Bacon's serial killer character in Criminal Law. The movie was a box office hit. Kevin Bacon's character was portrayed as a young, rich, good-looking serial killer that killed young women that previously had abortions. The fact that this fictional character killed young women wasn't the only thing that Paul Bernardo had in common with the movie's character whose name in the movie was Martin Thiel. So, you know, Thiel, Till, you know, it's not the same exact name, but it was the reason why they they changed it, and that is a fact. They were also both misogynistic pricks that hated women because of their mother. In the movie, Kevin Bacon, a.k.a. Martin Thiel, hated his mother for various reasons but he chose to kill women who had abortions because his mother was a surgeon who performed abortions it's actually a pretty good movie as i stated and it featured gary oldman who was one of my favorite actors before he passed and gary played a played martin's attorney who knew that martin was guilty but gary was an alcoholic lawyer who let drinking And Martin's money drawn out anything that even resembled ethical behavior kind of like most uh, most (laughs) I just said moist kind of like most lawyers do right not all though I have a couple of lawyer friends that are actually really really good people shout out to Dustin love you man and why I'm going through shoutouts spike that intro with the misfits was for you my friend I still owe you dinner, and we will get to that after I graduate in six weeks. So I will see you soon. Now, it's rather fitting that this piece of shit couple, Paul and Carla, chose the surname Till to help manifest their infamy and live out their dreams and become, uh, well, dreams of becoming rich, powerful, and successful serial killers who could outwit the police For their entire lives and we are talking canada so i mean that would be possible but luckily in this case it wasn't in 1987 one of paul's own friends had a wife that actually went to the worthless canadian police and told them that paul was definitely the scarborough rapist which was one of paul's other monikers my apologies if i forgot to mention that during this episode But after questioning Paul in regards to these accusations, the Canadian Mounties just said, wow, what a handsome young man. We're lucky to have him. We're lucky to meet him, eh? Little did they know, and I know that was a horrible Canadian accent, little did they know, and I mean very little did they know that Paul had already committed around 20 rapes by this time, and nobody will ever know the real, real rape or body count But there were at least 20 rapes that were confirmed by Paul Bernardo, a.k.a. the Scarbo Rapist. Excuse me, Scarbo Rapist. And remember, a moniker is a nickname given to bad people by the media. Speaking of bad people in the the media, remember how I was saying that Kai the Hitchhiker on Netflix was completely a victim and done wrong and used in so many ways and levels... Well, now there's a lawsuit against Netflix and many of the people on the documentary. The Fulton 55 in Fresno is also mentioned in the lawsuit, and they are like family to me. So, I didn't like seeing that. I was actually the very first person to play there. Like, literally, I opened the place up and was all over the news and everything. So, it's bittersweet. I'm glad Kai has a lawyer to help him get compensation for all the defamation he received. But it hurts me that people I have love for are named in the lawsuit as defendants. Anyway, moving on. And uh, by the way, the Fulton 55 is an amazing place. So yeah, it it, it sucks. Now we dive into the rest of the confirmed murders and rapes. Podcasts can only be so long, thus I will not have time to go into detail on every one of them. But let's talk about the other murders in chronological order. There were many, many rapes and alleged other murders. However, Canadian police could only confirm Tammy Homoka's murder and two other murders, which did in fact make Paul and Carla officially serial killers. If you haven't heard all the previous episodes of this show, a serial killer is someone who has killed at least three people in three separate incidents and had a cooling off period between the murders meaning they needed like at least a couple weeks to a month between each murder or set of murderers to make them a serial killer. There are mass murderers such as school shootings, spree killers who go out to multiple locations and kill people in a short amount of time, but they're not serial killers by FBI standards. And Canadian Mounties don't really catch any murderers, pretty much so. I don't know what their standards are regarding serial killers, and I do suppose that if someone has a box of Fruity Pebbles, and you're really hungry enough to kill them over it, I do suppose technically you could call yourself a serial killer with a C instead of an S. I mean, we can all be what we want to be in our own minds, right? Now, out of the three murders, Tammy was the first, and her death was obviously exciting to Paul and Carla, so of course they had to continue with this behavior. The second victim was 14-year-old Leslie Mahaffey, remember the one that Carla was talking about. Now, late at night on June 15, 1991, which was roughly six months after Tammy's murder, Paul had found young Les- Leslie who had missed her curfew after attending a funeral of all things, and was locked out of her house and was looking for a place to stay overnight. This was horrible luck for young Leslie, and one of the luckiest nights in the world for Paul and Carla. I'm sure if it had something to do with anything divine, it was Satan pulling some strings somewhere. After getting Leslie into the car by knife point, Paul whispered into, into her ear, and I quote, I'm going to rape you, your ass, and violate you in every way, and then I'm going to shit and piss all over you, end quote. Which, infor- which unfortunately, Paul actually did do all those things. You see, Paul and Carla videotaped themselves torturing And sexually abusing Leslie all while listening to Bob Marley and David Bowie of all people really kind of a crazy video I didn't really get to see the whole thing but I read up on descriptions of it and uh, yeah the whole time Bob Marley and David Bowie was playing so that's kind of kind of odd I mean I wouldn't expect Slayer but Bob Marley really at one point Bernardo said you're doing a good job Leslie a damn good job then he added the next two hours are going to determine what I do to you right now you're scoring perfect on another segment of the tape Paul played that was played at Bernardo's trial Paul Bernardo's trial the assault escalated Leslie cried out in pain and begged Paul to stop in this particular scene Paul was sodomizing her while her hands were tied behind her back, and from there, the video just gets worse. Paul does begin to urinate and defecate on this helpless 14-year-old girl, while Carla cheered him on like an evil, countrys fucking cheerleader. Oh, sick, vile shit, Literally. And I'm very sorry about the background noises as usual. I am going to get a studio and stuff here pretty quick, but for now, we're just going to have to listen to motors and things like that in the background because I don't have any choice. Now, the next day, according to Paul, Leslie was fed a lethal dose of Halcyon. However, Carla claimed that Paul strangled her. The pair put her body into the basement and after a couple of days, They decided the best way to dispose of Leslie would be to cut up and dismember her. They placed each piece in cement. Paul bought a dozen bags of cement at a hardware store the following day. He kept the receipts, which would prove to be really, really damaging in his trial. Bernardo Bernardo used his grandfather's circular saw to cut up Leslie's body Paul and and uh, Carla made numerous trips to the dump. The cement blocks in Lake Gibson, which is 18 kilometers south of Port Dalhousie, whatever the fuck that is, is where he, he bought everything. And I'm supposing that that's pretty close to their house. At least one of the blocks weighed 200 pounds, improved beyond the pairs patience or abilities to sink it rested near the shore where a father and son on a fishing expedition discovered it on June 29th 1991 you remember on the day paul and Le- and uh, carla's wedding was taking place yeah they were getting married when this happened Complete with a horse-drawn carriage and all the bells and whistles you can think of, Leslie Mahaffey's orthodontic appliance proved definitive in identifying her remains in the cement blocks. Now, this was the first time the two ever killed together and had to dispose of a body. So they weren't the best at doing this, obviously. And there's no way that Paul's little bitch ass could lift a 200-pound block. So, this wasn't good for them. But it was good for everyone else. Ah, It's time for a song. Take your mind off of this shit for a little bit. Just a little bit. Of course that was Guns N' Roses with I Used To Love Her. Remember if you are a musician and you would like to send me some good songs that fit the show you can send them on my IG channel music underscore murder underscore podcast. That could have been your song I just played but it wasn't because you didn't and if you did it just didn't fit the show and I'm sorry I didn't play it. This podcast reaches more listeners than most FM stations. Fuck, more like 10 to 20 FM stations. So quit being lazy. I know there's some good shit out there, and I would love to play it. That's what I do this show for, but I only want to play stuff that works for the show and doesn't lose listeners, but rather gets listeners. Now, when we left off, at Paul and Carla's wedding and the 14 year old body of Leslie Mahaffey getting pulled out of the Gibson Lake via concrete blocks while their wedding was taking place for this they weren't even looked at or even considered to be a threat at all not even close to being a suspect even with a wife of one of Paul's good friends telling the Canadian Mounties that Paul was the Scarbo Rapist. Crazy right? It's shit like that that makes you wonder if karma is like actually real. I myself like to become karma every now and then. I just want to play a little clip just to kind of remind you where we're at.
4: Bottle of liquid anesthetic. Today a sense of how dangerous that drug is in the hands of amateurs from Dr. Raymond Matthews. The anaesthetist had already seen the video of Paul and Carla apparently assaulting Tammy Homolka Christmas Eve 1990. He testified a cloth was being held over her face, her neck was twisted, her chin was close to her chest. According to the doctor, that probably made it difficult for her to breathe. The anaesthetic, four times more potent than ether, a common anaesthetic, made her vomit into her lungs. Earlier, a police constable testified he saw red marks on Tammy's face. At the time, they were written off as acid burns from her vomit. Police ruled Tammy died from natural causes. But Matthews testified neither vomit nor the anesthetic could have caused the burns. To make his point, he took a bottle of the anesthetic, poured it onto his hands, and put it on his face as if it were aftershave. Matthew said some other chemical on the cloth could have triggered a reaction, but he'll never know. Police allowed all the evidence removed from the Homolka home that night to be destroyed three months later. A forensic toxicologist described another drug, one that was found in the tissue of both Kristen French and Leslie Mahaffey. It's called Halcyon, a kind of sleeping pill empty drug bottles were found in the bernardo home the pills had been prescribed for carla halcyon was also detected in a water-filled test tube that was found in the bernardo home bernardo's lawyer asked whether the test tube looked like something you would find in a lab or a vet clinic the answer was yes
2: so now we get to discuss paul and carla's final official victim Like I said, we will never know how many victims there were in total, not for a fact anyway. But the third factual victim was named Kristen French. On the afternoon of April 16, 1992, Bernardo and Carla were driving through St. Catharines to look for yet another young and helpless victim. It was after school hours. On the day before Good Friday, they spotted Kristen French, who was a 15 year old student, walking home. The couple pulled up into the parking lot of a nearby church, and Carla got out of the car. The sturdy, nasty little whore had a map in her hand, pretending to need assistance. As French, like a good person, looked at the map, Paul attacked her from behind, brandishing a knife and forcing her into the front seat of the car. From the back seat, Carla tried to control Kristen by pulling her hair. Soon after Kristen didn't make it home, like usual, her parents became convinced that she was met with foul play and they were right. They notified the Canadian police within 24 hours. Niagara Regional Police had assembled an entire team and searched the area along her route home. They found several witnesses who had seen the abduction from different aspects, thus giving police a fairly clear picture which, being these were Canadian Mounties, they needed it. But at least this time, they actually took it serious. In addition, one of Kristen's shoes, excuse me, one of Kristen's shoes recovered from the parking lot underscored the seriousness of the abduction. Over the three days of the Easter weekend, Bernardo and Hermolka videotaped themselves as they tortured, raped, and sodomized young 15-year-old Kristen French. They forced her to drink large amounts of alcohol and make her more... well they did it to make her more compliant. Many killers who torture their victims do this a lot. They make them either take drugs or drink large amounts of alcohol. It's been my experience that it's usually pills. As in the case of the Chicago Rippers, uh, if you remember that case, I can't remember what what case it was, but I went over it. They made their victims uh, usually take a pill, or two, or three, which to me is the most graphic, that, that case, speaking of, is the most graphic and gory violent music and murder case to date now this drug use not only acts as a way to make the victim comply but it also destroys their credibility as a witness if they are rescued it doesn't always work that way but a lot of times it does help a good defense attorney we're jumping ahead a bit here but at Paul's trial Crown Prosecutor Ray Hollihan said that Bernardo always intended to kill Kristen because she was never blindfolded, so she was always completely able to identify her captors. Which tells me that basically the rape and torture wasn't enough anymore. Basically what Bernardo and Carla were doing were making snuff films at this point. They weren't going to take a girl without killing her. There was no fun in it for them anymore. It didn't get them off anymore. They had to stop the hearts of these girls. Otherwise, they just looked at it as boring. While Paul was out buying pizza on April 18th, He was spotted by a woman named Carrie Patrick who he had stalked the previous month because stalking women was literally his entire life, right? Her report was mishandled by the police because they were Canadian, of course. And of course, the following day, Paul and Carla murdered French literally right before they left to go to the Homoka's house for Easter dinner. That's right. They killed her right before going to Easter dinner. Carla testified at her trial that that Paul had strangled French for exactly seven minutes while she watched. This bitch had nothing to lose because you see, She got a deal from hell. All she had to do was turn on Paul and she got, well, we're almost there. Now, I heard many interviews and Paul states that Carla beat Kristen French with a rubber mallet because she tried to escape and that French ended up being strangled on a noose tied around her neck secured to a hope chest. Immediately thereafter, Homoka went to fix her hair. Uh just, uh... Which, if this is true, it shows a complete disassociation with reality. But who knows which one of them is lying? And does it really fucking matter? Does it really matter which one of them either strangled or beat this poor girl with a mallet? They're both fucking evil ghouls. You should YouTube Paul Bernardo's interviews on this and play a drinking game with how many times he blames everything on Carla. You will get wasted really fast. Now, French's nude body was found in a ditch on April 30th, 1992, in burlington approximately 45 minutes from where she was abducted and a short distance from the cemetery where leslie mahaffey their second murder victim well official murder victim was buried which is very ironic her body had been washed thoroughly and her hair had all been cut off it was originally thought that the hair was removed as a trophy because we all know that killers usually take trophies, right? But Homoka, uh, she testified that the hair had been cut off to impede identification. I guess she too knew how the, how the competency of the Canadian Mounties was, or rather lack thereof competency that the Canadian Mounties wielded. I'm very sorry to keep bringing it up, but it's disgusting how they can't do anything right. Not in just this case. No, I'm talking about every Canadian case that I've studied. Canadians are actually extremely brilliant. I I just don't get the law enforcement stuff. It just, it fucking kills me. I, I don't, I don't get it. And so, it ends. The whole thing comes to an end. Eventually, a number of Paul's acquaintances, excuse me, a number of Paul's acquaintances contacted the, the Canadian police about him, and a detective paid Bernardo a little visit. Paul did not strike this detective, whose, whose name was Erwin, as the kind of personality to be a serial rapist because apparently serial rapists have a certain personality. Complete fucking bullshit. You don't know who a rapist is and who a rapist isn't. But he did take blood, saliva, and a hair sample from Paul anyway. The samples along with 230 samples from other suspects were handed over to Kim Johnston. Only five of the 230 samples fit the blood factors of the attacker. And guess what? Paul Bernardo was one of the five. His sample was resubmitted for additional testing in April of 1992. Now, Paul and Carla were living and murdering in St. Catharines, The police investigation was centered in the niagara falls area at this time superintendent vince bevan was in charge once the body of leslie mahaffey was found after the death of christian french excuse me kristen french the ontario government formed the green ribbon task force hotlines and a base of operations were set up just outside of St. Catharine's. Forensic experts of the American FBI advised the task force. Thank God they got some help. Because, no, I don't need to go on that again. Later, when Christian French was abducted, a woman remembered seeing a struggle going on in a car at the scene. While she was not familiar with this various make of the car she thought it was a Camaro. Now, Ben's Fevin focused on tracking the ownership of all of the Camaros in the region, meaning everybody that owned a Camaro they were looking at. Meanwhile, Bernardo's name surfaced once again from one of the many tips that the police received. Two policemen called on Paul at his 57 Bayview home Paul was very gracious and polite during this interview, and he admitted that he had been a suspect in the Scarbo rapes because of this, he, uh, he said this because of his facial similarities to the composite picture, which is completely, how would you say it, um, fucking stupid on his part, but good on ours, Right. The police noted that Paul was very clean cut, and good looking, and that he was intelligent and cooperative, and that his home was very clean and orderly. He's all good, eh? They even noted that he drove a Nissan, which looked nothing like a Camaro. Now, why the fuck any cops would ever talk about somebody's looks? I mean, you know, Paul Bernardo isn't a bad looking guy. But my God, he's not Brad fucking Pitt. I, I, I don't get this, like, it, it's just insane. Okay. So anyway, nevertheless, the two policemen tried to contact Detective Steve Irwin in Toronto to ask him about the results of the DNA test taken from Bernardo. And just eight days later, Irwin responded to the message and explained that the final testing of his blood and saliva samples had not yet been done, because DNA does take a while, even here in America. Still, Bernardo has not been cleared as a suspect, thankfully. Irwin sent the task force some information, but neglected to send results of the interviews with friends of Paul, who had tipped off the police about him. Numerous people, right? A woman's report Uh, Excuse me, a woman reported that Bernardo was stalking her and the police reports filed by one of his former girlfriends named Jennifer Gallagher, consequently still left Bernardo unsuspected. I I just don't get it. I mean, like literally everybody in fucking Canada is saying this is your guy and the police are like, hey, he's good looking. He's got a nice house. Uh, He can't be our guy. So incredibly enough, finally in February of 1993, excuse me, February of 1993, several years after Paul's blood samples had been taken, the forensic laboratory in Toronto finally, finally, finally got around to analyzing his blood. And let me reiterate, years, years, While girls are being killed, young girls are being raped, tortured, and murdered, they finally analyze his blood. The tests prove conclusively that Paul was the ghoul that they were looking for. Had the laboratory been speedier and more efficient, Paul would have never, ever been able to hurt anybody Anymore, He would have been in jail. But instead, he was out still raping and killing women, murdering several schoolgirls, and God knows what else that we don't even know about. Now, despite this irony, Detective Erwin excitedly put Bernardo under surveillance. What he learned was that Bernardo had just been charged with assault in St. Catherine's, But here's the strange part. The assault charges were filed, and get this, by none other than his country's wife, Carla. Allegedly, in the summer of 1992, Paul just began beating the shit out of Carla like never before. And I'm talking like hospital beatings, black eyes, broken nose, lips busted open, So she decided that she just didn't want to kill and rape little girls or young family members with him anymore. He was just beating her up too much to do all that. So, plus he was drinking champagne glasses that she didn't approve of. Had nothing to do with the victims. She had no empathy. She's a fucking cunt. Carla soon had no choice but to go to the police and play the victim. The police fingerprinted her and let her know that they did have evidence such as a mickey mouse watch belonging to christian french their last victim that they didn't put in 200 pound blocks of concrete this time and after carla knew this shit was finally over with and that they were caught her lawyer immediately got her a 12-year deal to turn on paul but wait just 12 years you say Well, even after multiple searches of their apartment, they couldn't find the videotapes. But later on, after they gave her the deal, they do. And the shit that they find on these tapes will blow your fucking mind. They blew mine. Well, maybe, not since we went over everything in such good detail, but yeah, Everything was on those fucking tapes. And the Canadian Mounties realized that they just let a pedophilic, excuse me, pedophilic female predator who killed and raped her own sister and two other girls basically go under the rouge of thinking that she was a fucking victim. The deal with the devil, they call it. I think it's kind of a low blow to poor old Satan, you know. And wait, there's more. There's always more, right? This case just keeps going and going and going. Under Canadian shitshow jurisprudence, this cunt was eligible for parole after just fucking three more—well, three more years. Yeah, eligible for parole after just three more years. In mid-February of 92, Bernardo was finally put in handcuffs and arrested in conjunction with both the Scarbo rapes and the murders of Mahaffey and French. Even though he was so good-looking, I'm sure it really killed the fucking Canadian Mounties to actually arrest such a good-looking guy, eh? Carla was shocked and afraid She, like, really got anxiety, started, like, using painkillers and alcohol and all this shit. Fucked herself all up. On February 19th, police executed the search warrants for Paul and Carla's house and found an amazing amount of evidence. Paul had written descriptions of every one of the Scarborough rapes, plus an extensive library of books and videos On sexual deviation, pornography, and serial killers. Big surprise, right? I mean, what the fuck do you expect to find? Cookbooks? The police also found one brief home video that indicated that there had been more than one person in the Bernardo household. Quite explicitly, the short video showed Carla as an enthusiastic lesbian in sexual acts with two other women, so at least they knew that so far. In exchange for this len- leniency, Carla would agree to tell the absolute truth about her involvement in all the crimes and everything that she knew about him. Carla agreed to this unconditionally, of course. In early March of that year, Carla was checked into a psychiatric hospital for assessment. Keep in mind, Carla had a degree in psychology, so I think this was all bullshit. She was given heavy doses of drugs and insisted on being given even larger doses. Eventually, Carla got up the nerve to write an important letter to guess who she wrote an important letter to her parents here's the letter for verbatim dear mom, dad, and Lori, Lori is her sister, her other sister that she didn't kill this is the hardest letter I've ever had to write and you'll probably all hate me once you read it I've kept this inside myself for so long and I just can't lie to you anymore. Both Paul and I are responsible for Tammy's death. Paul was in love with her and wanted to have sex with her. He wanted me to help him. He wanted me to get sleeping pills from work to drug her with. He threatened me And physically and emotionally abused me when I refused. No words I can say can make you understand what he put me through. So stupidly I agreed to do as he said. But something, maybe the combination of drugs and the food she ate that night caused her to vomit. I tried so hard to save her. I am so sorry, but no words I can say can bring her back. I would gladly give my life for hers. I don't expect you, expect you to ever forgive me, for I will never forgive myself. Carla Exo. XO Hugs and kisses It is Undisclosed what her relationship Is now with her parents But I'd sure Fucking assume that there isn't much Of a relationship at all anymore I mean literally She just told her parents that she Killed their baby girl While having her boyfriend And helping her boyfriend Rape Her Now, she didn't go into the part to where she went down on her little sister and kissed her little sister all over the body and licked her everywhere from head to toe while this was going on. No, she left all that out. She left out a lot of things. The trial of Paul Bernardo was delayed for two years after his arrest. One of the reasons for the delay was that Bernardo had placed his first lawyer, Ken Murray, in a very difficult ethical situation. Bernardo had given Murray the videotapes, the the real videotapes, the ones that had everything on it, the videotapes that had Paul and Carla with all their adventures. And he believed that by doing this, They would never get into the hands of prosecutors. However, the prosecutors found out about these videotapes from Carla, and so they wiretapped Murray's conversations with Paul, which I guess is legal in Canada, because it sure as fuck isn't legal in the United States. Eventually, the pressure increased, and Murray had to do something about the videotapes in his possession. The videotapes were finally turned over to the Canadian prosecutors, and Murray, his lawyer, withdrew from the case. How surprisingly. Veteran defense lawyer John Rosen took his place as Paul's lawyer. This series of activities alone caused the delay of one year in the start of Paul's trial. Finally, in May of 1995, Paul's real trial began. Judge Patrick Lasage's courtroom with, of course, the videotapes were the critical evidence along with the DNA bernardo faced two counts of first degree murder two counts of aggravated sexual assault two counts of forcible confinement two counts of kidnapping and one count of performing an indignity on a human being and i'm guessing that the indignity was him shitting on the girls that he actually took, which is, uh, yeah, you don't hear a whole lot about that. That's uh, pretty new. Now, being that the prosecutors finally had the tapes, the real tapes, they began with a segment showing Carla naked, masturbating with the camera focused right on her vagina. Nick Prawn in Lethal Marriage which I don't really know what that is, but it's in a lot of articles, describes that the electrifying effect the video had on the courtroom was gasps of surprise and disgust, perhaps even shock, along with plenty of embarrassed giggles that could be heard throughout the entire courtroom as the camera lingered on Carla's exposed naked body for several minutes as she stimulated herself Get, take that in for a second several minutes of this hey we're starting this murder trial here's a girl playing with her pussy for several minutes that's very interesting for the previous two years ever since her arrest Carla had been seen on television and footage taken at her wedding with her friends, and at her trial, but few people in the courtroom that day were expecting to see a triple X-rated tape, a close study of the country's most infamous woman in a variety of sexually explicit positions. You see, they thought she was the victim that she said she was, and now... Finally, two years after the deal with the devil was documented and irreversible, they find out the actual truth. However, regardless of Carla's degree of guilt or innocence and the deal that she had made with the authorities, it did not save Bernardo from the outrage that he kindled in the minds of the jurors. On September 1st, 1995 Paul was convicted on all charges against him regarding the kidnappings the rapes the murders of Leslie Mahaffey and Christian French excuse me Kristen French he also faced trials in the death of Tammy Homoka and the serial rapes in Scarborough because remember he was the Scarborough rapist as well Under Canadian law, Bernardo can apply for parole after only 25 years in prison, although it is unlikely that he would be successful in any parole bid. As of today, he sits in a cell and cries and is likely raped regularly. Carla Homoka now lives in Quebec and she has three children and a husband yeah you heard me right she's married with three kids and has changed her name now three times and a judge in Quebec would not allow her motion to have it changed again to Elizabeth while she chose why she chose Elizabeth I have no idea she's now living her best life after everything she's done again does karma really actually exist and with that we wrap up episode 20. i leave for nashville in the morning to start working on my next record that's set to be released in about three months i really appreciate all of you for helping me make this show one of the best and most successful true crime podcasts in existence. And maybe that's kind of uh, in my own mind, I don't know, but the numbers don't lie. I'm graduating in six weeks and then I'm gonna start really having some time to put some great guests and everything else on this show. And I promise you, it's going to get a lot better and better now that i'm going to have time please show your support for the show by following my ig at music underscore murder underscore podcast and at least hit the subscribe button just hit it it takes like i don't know like half of a millisecond i appreciate all of you even you fucking nutjobs and always always remember Just because you're paranoid, it doesn't mean that they're not really out to get you. Because they're always out to get you. This is my song, Your Ghost. I will talk to you very, very soon. Have a beautiful, beautiful weekend.
0: And it might be the death of me, but it ain't killed me yet. Well, I can't stop thinking about what went wrong. Well, I can't stop drinking now since you've been gone. Late at night, you come to
3: me. I feel
0: your ice cold energy. Sometimes I see you dancing inside of my head. I reach out to touch you and wake up in my bed. Cheating hearts, and i like to apologize, but I don't know where to start. The lights turn on and off, and there's no one there. And I smell your perfume in the cold night air. Ooh, ooh, Late at night, you come to me. Ooh, ooh, Feel your ice cold energy. It's all around me, and sometimes I see you dancing inside of my head. I reach out to touch you and wake up in my bed. Girl, you It's a memory that i like to forget It's gonna be the death of me But it ain't killed me yet But sometimes I see you Dancing inside of my head I reach out and touch you And wake up and bite